Thank God it's Friday. You're listening to TGIF, the horror movie podcast that brings you all the casual conversations about your favourite or not-so-favourite horror movies with your host, me, Kat. This week, I am joined by the founder of The Bloody Bedroom and contributor for Hear Our Scream, Dylan. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you about one of my favourite horror films ever. Ever? Really? (laughs) Yeah, ever. Oh, wow. Today, I learnt this about you. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, it's just, I love uh, aquatic horror, and honestly, I think A Cure for Wellness, for what it is, is so underrated. I love the cast, but I also think it's, like, cinematic gold. Oh, absolutely. It's, um, I like to put it in the gothic horror, like, genre of things, along with, like, Crimson Peak, and... I was just gonna say that! Yes. Yeah! Because <laughs> yeah. it has that aesthetic to it, mm-hmm. I like to think. Uh, before we dive in, I'd like you, uh, could you, tell us a little bit about The Bloody Bedroom? Because you've only just ventured into this blog slash website. It's all very exciting. Yeah, I, I have really been wanting to make a website, but it takes me a long time to kind of, it took me a long time to think of a good like mission statement. Like, what do I want this to represent? And I was thinking that I have spent so much of my life um, in my bedroom watching horror movies whether it's because of like mental health stuff or because I'm kind of like a little bit of a hermit or because I'm shy or because I have a chronic illness that it's like I thought to make a whole website based in like a disability lens or in a I don't know even a mental health lens of of being alone in your room watching horror movies would be really really a fun experiment yeah absolutely Um, also it gives me a great excuse to like talk to other like chronically ill neurodivergent uh disabled um horror creators around and I'm just like all my favorite things in in my room and that makes me happy (laughs) that's amazing because uh i'm a huge fan already and i'm just like come on let's get you've got a podcast with your mom coming up soon um locks and lucifer if i'm correct yeah and it's so funny i i know uh mom was saying a lot of goyim are gentiles or well non-jewish non-jewish people (laughs) I was like, oh I know God. what that means, but maybe not everybody does. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like trying to like not do the Yiddish thing anymore because I'm just like not people are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, dang. I forgot that. I keep forgetting the word for like congratulations. I'm saying like Mazel Tov and they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't know. Anyway. I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Locks and Lucifer, we're, we're talking not just about horror films, but about like any films that kind of examine or, or um, portray the devil and uh it's been really exciting and we have our first episode recorded and my dear friend Angie um, is doing the the artwork for uh, for that. And um, yeah, I just thought it would be really fun to have like two Jewish people like talk about the devil when no one asked for that. <laughs> like, that's why I came up with it. <laughs> um, but you're examining religious horror, which for me, I've noticed that a very common denominator in all of that is god jesus and either you know christianity and catholicism so being able to listen to you know someone who is jewish discuss these these perspectives is a lot more interesting i reckon yeah yeah, and like honestly there's two things about it too that i was it's like mom and i are both culturally jewish not like we both don't believe in god which i think we're gonna hit a lot of like (laughs) hit against those stereotypes for one but also it's like i i personally I don't like the term religious horror the way it's used currently because religious usually means Catholic or Christian. There are so many other religions, cultures that are not portrayed enough in at least mainstream horror film that it's like, hey, no, let's, you know, there's the vigil and Shiva baby. And it's like, okay, uh, because I consider that a horror film. It's like, no, let's get some some more out there and, and have more discussions in other cultures, even outside of Judaism and stuff. It's like 
let's get more cultural in, in our horror films. Yeah, it's kind of do not, uh, dominated by this whole concept of Christianity and crosses and and yeah. whatnot. And I, I, I find uh, Judaism really interesting. It was, I did studies of religion at school and we did, you know, the five big religions. And I just found Judaism a lot more progressive than the other religions. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I left the synagogue a while back and there are, you know, it's, I think the some organized stuff is not for me. I know that there's a lot of, people who believe certain things that I don't believe in my own culture so it's like there's a lot of sex and there's a lot of um sex sex s-e-c-t-s everybody (laughs) um let's learn how to pronounce these words people um and like I I feel like um there's I just get tired of the stereotypes uh and then I I'm like hey I I don't really fit a lot of these and let's talk about that yeah and especially being culturally Jewish and not religious is it religiously Jewish yeah, I would say like um, I do. I, I'm. It's yeah. It's so hard to define it because, like, I would say very culturally. Yeah, it, it's. Um, I would consider myself culturally Jewish, but like, I don't. I don't believe in God. I don't do a lot of the holidays and stuff. I do some of them, but a lot of it is because it matters to me as a as a tradition type of thing. Yeah, and and my family and stuff. So it's like, but I I, I just love that everybody. I believe that no matter what sect. <laughs> you are in in uh judaism it's like it's nice to be able to to um identify and and uh interact with your culture as you do and what as what makes you like comfortable not what you're what you're asked to do by the synagogue you know yeah absolutely there's definitely that concept of restraint that comes with being identifying religiously with different um groups i'm i'm yeah, because even in Christianity, it's the same way. You know, you've got, I came from Mormonism at one point in my life. And, it, you know, that's the kind of thing where you can't culturally be something and not religiously identify. It's oh, uh, it's yeah, so hard to separate the two. Like you are culturally and religiously a Latter-day Saint. It's so, it's, it's really weird. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I get it though, because there's a lot of, like, one of the reasons I left the synagogue is because, I was like, hey, you're not allowed to have tattoos. You're not allowed to do this and that. And and there's a lot of, you know, you know, misogyny in certain parts. And it's like, hey, like, this isn't for me. And I would like to be Jewish in the way that I'm Jewish in the way that I want to be. I believe in that autonomy completely. And so I, I really, I hope that everybody's able to interact with their, you know, Judaism in the way that they feel most comfortable because I believe that autonomy is key to survival, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. My dad is definitely... Um in his practice of religion that's where he is at it's uh definitely more protestant values you know um it's not being you know outwardly i love jesus it's more like i do the right thing i practice my religion at home but yeah me being atheist uh i don't get it (laughs) yeah i Actually, my dad believes in God, too, but he's like, no, I'm not religious at all. And I'm like, yeah, come on, Hanukkah is super fun. You get gifts and chocolate. (laughs) I'm I'm totally in it for the right reasons. Totally. Absolutely. (laughs) Keep those traditions going. Uh, My partner is Orthodox, um, Serbian Orthodox. And so Christmas is like a week and a half after like Christian Christmas and then Easter is a week and a half. And so we get like two Christmas dinners and like two Easter dinners and it's, it's good fun. Oh, I love the food component. Like, yeah. <laughs> We're like, yes, we get an awesome roast dinner. Amazing. 
I would like to come someday if that's okay. Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. Am I invited? <laughs> yeah. When Ned and I move out, we're going to still do things like that just because it keeps him connected to his culture and yeah. it's not necessarily a religious thing either. Yep. So yeah, that's fun. I totally get it. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about a cure for wellness. Excuse me, everyone. <coughs> um, that's horrible. I sound really ill. Um, I'm not. <laughs> Uh, so Cure for Wellness is a 2016 psychological horror film directed by Gore Verbinski and written by Justin Haith based on a story co-written by Haith and Verbinski who were inspired by Thomas Mann's 1924 novel The Magic Mountain, which I thought was really fascinating. I now need to read this book because mm-hmm, I want to know, I want to be able to read it and like visualize what I want to see it as. Yeah, actually, I, I I never read it either. And I'm like, why haven't I? Because especially with how much I love the film, I would love to compare and contrast them someday. Yeah, I think it'd be really fascinating. Um, the star sound, uh, the, the star sounds. The movie stars Dane, uh, Dane DeHaan, uh, Jason Isaacs, and Mia Goth. The plot follows an ambitious young executive who is sent to retrieve his company's CEO from an idyllic but mystery mysterious wellness center at a remote location in the Swiss Alps, but soon suspects that the spa's treatments are not what they seem. Definitely not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The film was released on February 17th, 2017 in the United States by 20th Century Fox. So it's only a a recent film and it's been on my radar for quite some time, but I kind of always overlooked it because what I expected and what the film was, two different things. Oh, I would, I, I would love to know what you expected because I, I, I honestly, I will never review this film. I'll write about it, but I'll never review it because I cannot do it without bias. I think this film is almost perfect. Yeah. What I expected was um, definitely lots of like flotation tanks because obviously the artwork is of a bath and like a very like, um, what's the like clinical kind of look on it well on prime the little um what's what are they called the little squares the artwork the thumbnail that's what it's called oh oh yes 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 Yes, no i i swear i know what that is i think i was like i think that's what it's called but it looked um (laughs) so different to what the movie was and i was like oh Mm -hmm. okay i'm intrigued i was intrigued (laughs) um you ready to dive in let's do this Let's dive in like like they Literally. dove into the water. <laughs> there is so much water in this. I feel like it's they wasted water. water in some points at some point. <laughs> oh, sure. I, I'm positive they did. Like, I live in a country that is ravaged by drought often, and they want to do this shit. Oh, I mean, we were just talking about the drought before we started recording. Oh, my gosh. The, yeah, I didn't think about With the that. kangaroos. <laughs> yes. Who can grow up to 220 pounds, and the tallest one was 6'9". That's in, that's scary. Mm-hmm. I need to see a picture of it. I'm going to Google a picture of it after this um, and share <laughs> it on my Twitter. <laughs> so in the opening scene, we see a man named Morris who is working late in his office. He starts to experience chest pain and he goes to get some water. Um, we see him pour his water and then clutch his chest as he suffers a heart attack and collapses on the floor. Now, whilst this is going, we also have the audio um, narration over the top, don't we, of Pembroke's oh, letter? Uh, yeah, I, yes, we do. Of the letter? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
and he says um, to my fellow members of the board, which I find I find his letters so creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that when I rewatched this today, I was like, "This isn't an, like what kind of resignation letter? Is it even a resignation?" Letter? I don't know like, what, what it is. is. <laughs> what are you? <laughs> it's not normal. No. Uh, a man cannot unsee the truth. He cannot willingly return to darkness or go blind once he has the gift of sight any more than he can be unborn. We are the only species capable of self-reflection, the only species with the toxin of self-doubt written into our genetic code, unequal to our gifts. We build, we buy, we consume. We wrap us in the illusion of material success. We cheat and deceive as we claw our way to the pinnacle of what we define as achievement, superiority to other men. And I mean, like, that's pretty philosophical when you think about it. It is. And and just, uh, I think one of the things that's interesting kind of right after the letter is, is um, like a little bit later when, when Dahan's character throws the goldfish out, just throws it in the trash, the dead goldfish. It's like, look at, look at the way we look at the whole like balance of things. Like, why are we above? Why are we the top? Yeah. And it's just so like, it's carelessness the way mm. that they, that, that shot is, um, which I found really fascinating. Um, whilst we hear this letter, we also see Lockhart, who is on a train heading to work. Um, he's super into his work. He is dedicated. <laughs> he is also committing a crime. He's so nonchalant about it, too. <laughs> he's like, just do it. Just do the crime, Josh. Just do it. Like, he yells at some guy named Josh, like, the whole, like, first part of the film. <laughs> And Josh is like, I'll do the crime, whatever. Stop yelling at me. Fine. <laughs> but um, even, so we do meet, well, we do see a lot of what Lockhart is about. He's rude. He's careless. He's rude to the guy on the train who asks for his ticket and says business or leisure. And he's like, seriously? Oh, yeah. He's instantly, uh, he's not a likable, I would say he's, he's, I like him because I love Dane DeHaan. I think he's an underrated guy but like the character is just you don't feel endeared to him at all not at all you kind of want to punch him oh yeah at some points <laughs> i love dane dehan and i'd punch him he's terrible <laughs> he's, a, he's a, not a nice I'd, guy i just punch him to be in the same room as him oh, yeah me too <laughs> <laughs> uh we see lockhart in his new office and two of his friends or colleagues come in and make a joke about how he closed uh, a particular deal and don't forget about us. He uh, is then on his way to a meeting with his higher-ups in the partner's office. So I'm assuming that uh, Lockhart has gotten a job as a partner in the firm. Oh, yeah. yeah. If they're having like a partner's meeting or something like yeah. that. I guess I hadn't caught that, but yeah, I would say so, yeah. I only caught that today and I was like, oh, wait a second. If he's going to a partner's meeting, ah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so we see Hank Green, Hollis, and Wilson, and they're reviewing a note that was sent by the company's CEO, Roland Pem Pembroke, played by Harry Groner, who is supposed to be away for two weeks um, at a recovery spa in the Swiss Alps, but he hasn't come back. And um, the note continues on from the previous voiceover, and Lockhart is now reading this letter. And the letter says, there is a sickness inside us, rising like the bile that leaves that bitter taste at the back of our throats. It's there in every one of you seated around the table. We deny its existence until one day the body rebels against the mind and screams out, I am not a well man. No doubt you will only think of the merger, that unclean melding of two equally diseased institutions. But the truth cannot be ignored. 
for only when we know what ails us can we hope to find the cure. I will not return. Do not attempt to contact me again. Sincerely, Roland E. Pembroke. And Hank Green says to Lockhart, what do you make of that? And his response is clearly he's lost his mind. And one of the most profound things that came out of that letter was when he says, for only when we know what ails us can we hope to find the cure. And I'm like, damn, I wish, like, I wish that was true for me as like, uh, you know, someone in chronic pain where I'm like, I know what ails me, but there's no such thing as a cure. Thanks for reminding me. Honestly, when I when I first saw this, what, in 2016, I saw it in theaters. Um, I, I wasn't chronically ill yet myself. And, and now watching it again, and I've seen it so many times, it's like every time I take something different from it, but being in chronic pain and the idea that the cure, and, and I think the cure <laughs> is something different for everybody. The yeah, cure, absolutely. Certain things just doesn't, it's like this quest that you're never going to achieve. Yeah, yeah. And the way that Pembroke does pen this letter is kind of like, what is that ails you? And it's kind of like left up to the reader or the listener to be like, oh, okay, what is it that ails me? Is it selfishness? Is it empathy? Is it pain? Is it sickness? Is it, you know, there's so many different things for anyone to perceive that line as anything. And I thought, yeah, and I was thinking the same thing. And I thought in this context, and, and I really, like I said, I really do take something different from it every time. I felt that in this one, I'm like, is is the disease, is is what they're trying to cure uh, capitalism. And, and as, like, especially yeah. in this context, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting, especially because, you know, he's gone away for two weeks and then seems to have this mental breakdown over oh, a, yeah. on a letter, all via letter. Um, Green shows Lockhart an illegal document that um, he had handed in from either the merger or a deal. I'm not too sure. And basically they are now going to be under investigation because um, when a merger does occur, this kind of thing, the SEC does get involved in Australia. Um, we have an agency that does get involved as well when mergers happen and they do like a full audit of the company. And basically Lockhart is told that he needs to be, bring Pembroke back unless he wants to face the penalties for his actions. So they're basically saying, bring in a guy who looks like he is losing his mind and we'll shift it all onto him. Oh, yes. And I, I like, this is just another one of those reasons you are not, you do not like Lockhart at all at the beginning. Yeah. Like he's, he is not, there's nothing redeemable about him and he's going straight there to push his crime off of someone who is mentally not very healthy yeah it's really really shit because his response to to hank green is basically like i'm guessing they want to hire up like to to fry for this like this crime oh, he, <laughs> he thought of it so fast too he's like oh well uh i know and they were all smiling in the room like they're just a bunch of evil rich yeah. people and he even says like hank green says do you think that there's anything out there that we haven't done before I, that part actually kind of took me off. I was like, they, they're not playing, like, they're being very honest about what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> like, we're shit people. We've done fucked up shit. <laughs> and we're kind of happy to cover up yours if you'll be, bring Pembroke back to sign this merger. And it really is, like, the film really is a journey of, like, self-discovery and change and all these things with how far he'll go just to save his own, you know. Like, he he's, like, willing to do anything in order to avoid... Yeah losing the life that he's comfortable in yeah and that's like 
a testament to basically nearly every person <laughs> ever. Oh, yeah. I'll even admit that. I'll do oh. anything to continue being comfortable. Oh, me oh me too, absolutely. Which it's that's why it's something different for everybody, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much to take away from this film, like on an in like a personal level. It's a lot more existential than I had realized. It's a lot more personal feeling uh yeah. than I had thought. Mm. In a flashback, we see Lockhart visiting his older mother at a retirement home. She carries around a small music box with her and a ballerina that she says is dreaming. And she makes these ballerinas, only she doesn't know that um, she is in a dream, this ballerina. Uh, We also find out that Lockhart's mother passes away and is cremated before his departure and he has kept the ballerina with him. So that's important to know. Uh, upon arriving in Switzerland, now when he goes to Sw- this this place is so freaking beautiful. Mind you, it's not Switzerland; they actually filmed in Germany, but That's still beautiful. I, I thought they did. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure, like in parts of Germany, I think I think Germany like backs on to Switzerland. I think they're like next to each other, I'm, or maybe Austria and Switzerland are. I'm not sure. I need a map. You are asking the wrong person. I don't even know how to read a map. I can Google map. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> that I can do. I could totally do that. I could, and also the lady, <laughs> the lady on my phone reads to me sometimes and tells me where to go, and I could do that. But yeah. <laughs> the lady on my phone. <laughs> She's I'm very like nice. the FBI agent trapped in my phone. His name is <laughs> Chad. <laughs> well, at least Chad knows how to read a map. Yeah. He does. He reads it out to me too. (laughs) (laughs) So Lockhart takes a ride from a local taxi driver by the name of Enrico. While riding up the hill to the spa, a villager chucks a drink at the car. And Enrico goes on to explain that the villagers have a bad history with the sanitarium on the hill. Sanatorium. Sorry, sanitarium is a brand here. Like a brand of cereal. (laughs) Uh, but I think it's also a word, right? Because I just saw a so. film called Sanitarium that I kept calling Sanatorium. And I was like, wait, they're both words. And I looked it up and then I forgot what Sanitarium meant. That okay. Was a great story for the <laughs> <I was>, <laughs> I'm glad that's in there. At least I know that they're both words now. They're um, both words, yeah. <laughs> uh, because back in the day, uh, a couple of hundred years before, there's a story of a baron who wanted to protect his bloodline by marrying his sister. Delightful. After finding yeah, out, <laughs> sorry. No, it's just like instantly. It's this film for how long it is. It's like two hours and twenty six minutes or something. It yeah. really it gets dark and and kind of aggressively messed up really really fast. Oh, straight away, automatically. Like it's filmed with like a green filter. Like mm-hmm. it's going for that gothic horror vibe straight away. It's got the story set up. It literally follows how to write a gothic horror novel it really is a, a it's it is goth it is like i love how long it is too and how fast it feels it's like it just feels yeah. like it shouldn't work that way it's so weird yeah when i saw it today and i was like two hours over two hours no way like that it can't be no it doesn't seem like, it, it doesn't feel like it and everything no. feels important in there it's, yeah it's all all happens for a reason it's beautifully done in a purposeful way for sure mm. Um, the Baron learns that his sister, who he married, is infertile, was infertile, and he began experimenting on the villagers, which led to them revolting and burning the Baron's sister alive. 
delightful. Well, and also like this guy, you know, this little businessman, or you know, Dana's just like here. I'm, I'm just here to pick up a guy. Like I don't I just need want... to hear this terrible Thanks. story on the way to the creepy old like, you know, sanitarium. 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 <laughs> no, I feel like sanitarium something. But like, why he just is instantly given all of this kind of un- unnecessary seeming information. It comes back to be important later, but it's like. This is disturbing information to be told right off the bat on this trip that he didn't even want to go on. Yeah, it's it's that whole, like I said, the gothic setup, this foreboding story, this tale of love, love, mm-hmm. um, horrible experiments, revolting, a tragic end for the sister, you know, the sister of the Baron. And it's like, this is, this is Crimson Peak. <laughs> Oh my god, may I? He's also, he's such a fish out of water immediately, too, and it's really, oh, yeah. really clear. Like, it's really uncomfortable how much he does not belong here. Oh yeah, it's so um, jarring and off-putting, because it's just like, oh. But then, when everything does start to happen, he kind of belongs there, in a way. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I love that, yeah. Um, so, I have an interesting fun fact about the sanatorium. It was originally located in Belitz Hellstarten, and it is an old tuberculosis clinic. So the building itself and the area around it had been completely renovated after being in ruin for decades. Um, so they replaced 750 windows, 350 doors, and 1,200 square meters of walls and restored it to the original look of the building. Oh my gosh, like like behind the that's incredible. I didn't it, know that. Yeah, and it was also a military hospital used during World War II. That I did, I did read yeah. that. Yeah. It's it's just interesting how there's a huge historical factor in the film and in real life as well. It's like, almost like it plays into itself. It's just really makes it creepier. Yeah, and knowing I was listening to a podcast i can't remember the podcast maybe fright days or something along those lines and they were talking about like medical horrors and they talked about a cure for wellness and it's set and apparently it's incredibly haunted as well and i was like oh, oh yeah it would be <laughs> no it's, it's it's absolutely haunted for sure it i wouldn't so go haunted. in there you could no, pa- no well, you could pay me to go in <laughs> you can pay me to do anything i will totally go to the cure for wellness eel water place <laughs> i'll do that for 50 bucks I would do it for the the dinners from your celebrations. <laughs> you need you need to put monetary worth to that. Yeah. Um. So he uh when he arrives, the visiting hours are over, but he manages to find Pem Pembroke in the like a pool room thing because he basically fights with the receptionist to find out where Pembroke is. And uh, Lockhart is like, you need to come home with me. We've got all this stuff going on. Like, the business needs your attention. And Pembroke is not interested in leaving at all. And Pembroke says to him, is this why you came all this way, ambition? Then you have it worse than any of us. And Lockhart's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, the sickness. And he says, your father saw the truth long before the rest of us. The pointlessness of the entire endeavour. We've all done terrible things, so many terrible things. It was th- this scene is really haunting, and and I, this film, you know, this whole film is haunting and interesting. Uh, also, I need to talk about the score at some point, but like, oh yeah, 
it's just it's so eerie because um lockhart was super honest with pembroke that hey i need to bring you back to basically nail my crime on you yeah it's like and the guy was like oh then i'll pack my bags right away and and then like lockhart's (laughs) like thank you and then he's just like rushes out it's like hey he was being sarcastic you doof like I mean, I, I never, like, it's so ridiculous how honest he was about his intentions and how yeah. different pages they were on, especially after, like, it's so interesting. It's like, is this place all bad if he really did have some sort of revelatory thing? Or it's just, like, mm. weird. It's a weird, ooh, this film is weird. It's very culty in the way that later very. you see a lot of this rhetoric coming from a lot of the, the client clientele at the at the spa. Um, but he also speaks with Volma, who is the director of the spa, and he basically says, you know, Pembroke is a success, like, pe- like my clients move on from the spa to do incredible things, you know, they're very successful after they've, you know, found the, the cure, and they always refer to it as the cure. It's almost like you feel like it should have a capital T and a capital C. It's See, very, yeah. everybody knows what they're talking about, and it's like this nebulous elephant in the room. Yeah. Yeah, everyone. Refer- yeah, the fact the cure. I was like, this. This is a cult. This is it's absolutely. Oh, it's one hundred percent a cult. And I, I do like culty type films. No, I didn't think about it like that. But it's such a brainwashing cult. Yeah, is this the scene where Lockhart does have the flashback about his dad, or is that later on? Um, I believe that's later on. Yeah, he has another. That was comes- when he was in the. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Lockhart leaves with Enrico and he says, you know, take me to a hotel. I've got to make some phone calls. Um, of, of course, the sanatorium has no cell reception because they no, need, you're not, you're not, not getting well, in touch I mean, with anyone. Like, and we're not on her yet, but when, when we meet Hannah, she says nobody ever leaves. And then she says nobody wants to. And, and it's, it's, it seems to be very much the case. So why would you have any connections to the outside world? You don't need them. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. So on the way to the hotel, a deer runs out from the woods and onto the road. Enrico hits the deer, which gets stuck in the windshield and causes the car to swerve off the road and crash into a ditch. That That scene. (laughs) (laughs) Jinx. (laughs) You go first. You go first. (laughs) Well, I guess it's just that that scene. And I'm, I honestly... I'm not a toughie in real life, but with horror films, I can watch pretty much anything. There's a couple things I I struggle with because I'm scared of everything in real life. So I'm not super scared of horror films usually. But this scene scared me really, really bad. Uh, Just the way that they do the car accident, how realistic it is, the the glass crashing through and and the car tumbling. The struggle of the deer and the noise. Oh, my God. Just the whole thing. uh, It wrecks my heart and it it scares Every time I watch it, I, I kind of have to look away. Yeah, I struggled with it. It was just very brutal and very, um, I don't know, like abrupt. So I was not prepared for that as at all. I knew that there'd be something to keep Lockhart, obviously, at, at the spa. But I was like, oh, I was not expecting that craziness. <laughs> You know, I'm not, and I, I think that there's a lot of discussion and like discourse around jump scares and horror. I'm not against them at all, but I believe that's the only one in this one, which is, it just felt so yeah. out of place and, and uh, awkward and clunky and, but it worked too. Yeah. Yeah. It could have easily done without it. Let's just say that. <laughs> I, I don't love it, but I definitely scared yeah. me and I think it's effective. Oh, for sure. Um, Lockhart awakens in 
a room at the spa and he finds out it's three days later. Um, Dr. Heinrich Vollmer, played by Jason Isaacs, who, where do I know him from? Where, what else has he been in? Oh, I love him. <laughs> well, um, so I don't, I don't watch Harry Potter anymore, but he oh. was Draco. Yeah, he was Draco's dad. Yeah. Um, and uh, but what I love him from is the OA, and he plays a mad scientist in that too. I'm just like, okay, you're a mad scientist in real life. You played it twice. Like, and <laughs> I, he's probably it. played it more. Actually, that he's is played your it another career movie. now. <laughs> yes, he totally is. Like, uh, I just know because I think there was another one where he played a doctor too, like another film. But it's just like okay. He, he's in a lot of stuff where he plays kind of this threatening, menacing, but also very formal character. He plays that yeah. role a lot and he does it well. It's like a he's got a very, you know, um, unique presence about him in this role. Yeah, I, I don't, I will say I don't. So he plays a, a similar role, uh, a guy called Hap in the OA. And I, uh, these roles, they're not likable, but you're draw like he, he, he is kind of magnetic on the screen for whatever reason, even though you don't like him, he plays a lot of villains. He just totally commands the screen every time he's on. Yeah, he's fantastic. I did like him as, I don't know, what's Draco's dad's name? Um, oh, Luci Lucius. Lucius. <laughs> he was, <laughs> of course. He, it's just because he's like, he's got like this silver blonde hair. And then in this, he's got like short brown hair. And I was like, I know his eyes and his mouth, but I couldn't like pinpoint. And I didn't go into IMDb like I usually would. <laughs> I don't know. I really, I have like a weird, I, I really like him. And so like, yeah. um, I, I think when I first saw him out of that that wig, that Lucius wig, I was like, who are you? But I know your eyes. He has those piercing, creepy eyes. I love it. Yeah. You're like, I know you. I, I know you. <laughs> I know you. You're someone's dad, aren't you? Like, like, <laughs> he's he's awesome. He's one of the great. I think this cast is so great because of yeah. him and uh, Dahan, who's in like a lot of other cool stuff. too. Like I don't cast. remember what I've seen him in. So he was in, um, I think it was called Chronicle. The, like the like a found footage kind of creepy film uh he was in um a quibi like kind of a, do you remember quibi it was like quickly uh, like it was like the streaming service but they did away with it really fast he was in something oh with we would have had that here oh well i had to like find it on youtube at some point but he was in another creepy thing there uh he's he's been in some cool stuff oh he was in uh spider-man the one with um that's right, because yeah. I watched this with uh, my best friend Addie, and she knew exactly where everyone had been, and I was like, who's that guy? And she's like, it's so-and-so. He was in this. You know, he well, was Harry in Spider-Man, and I was like, dude, Brickham was, wasn't he? He was, and he plays a villain <laughs> a lot, too, and I think yeah. uh, you're, you were saying your dad likes King. He was also in Lisey's story just now playing another... Like, he oh. wasn't a villain in this. He was kind of a not good guy, but he played a villain in that, too. And he's just, he's re he's really commands the screen, kind of like Isaac. So yeah. Very, they they work well together. I'm into it. I'm going to have to, yeah. I, is it Lissy's or Lizzie? I always said Lizzie, because to me, um, that's, it's Lissy, though, isn't it? I, th I think it's Lisey, Lisey's story. Lisey. Which was on, I think it was on uh, Apple. Apple TV, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really do want to watch that. It's, it's excellent. Really good. I, I honestly, I would recommend anything he's in. This guy, I love. I love Dane DeHaan. I'm gonna have to watch it. I'm onto it. I say that now and then forget about it three hours later. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I recommend it. I'll forget about it. <laughs> um. So Lockhart finds out that he has a broken leg, and that Volmer has let his office know that um, Lockhart is in treatment at the moment for his broken leg. But um, he says this really nice thing that his boss had said about, you know, recovery is more important. And Lockhart's like, 
Hank Green said that. <laughs> yeah, it, I, he instantly knows. Like, he's like, oh, he thinks I should stay well and not go back to work. And are you talking to the right guy? Like, it's but like not but it's not enough for him to to know something's wrong but know yeah. something's off which is like a yeah. really big distinction. Yeah, Volma also tells him to try out the spa's treatment while he is there in recovery, and that basically everything is up to him, whatever he wants to give a go to. Um, whilst he's in his room, he hears the toilet rattling by itself, and this isn't the first time. Like this is something that continues throughout the film, but um, after a little while, it stops. Yeah, that's that was one of the... I love how it's like this atmospheric type of horror in this one. I think it's really creepy the way just little things happen around. It, it's really a good tension builder. It's a slow burner, but also, like I was saying, it's slow and fast, and I love the, the sound elements and the kind of rattling and the little things that yeah. go on around the... It's so creepy. Oh, it really is. And uh, Volma also tells him to keep drinking the water. Drink the water. Drink the water. I was just thinking water. too. I suggested we talk about like I'm like, hey cat, let's talk about a cure for wellness. And I was just on Cool Friends talking about cabin fever. I'm like, I can only talk about movies where the water is like diseased and foul and contaminated. Like that's the only type of movie I like, apparently. And it's like that, I don't I don't really like cabin fever anymore, but it's just like why is that that's like my my area of expertise now, apparently. It's water with parasites. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of my identity now. <laughs> So Locker uh, takes himself out on his crutches and goes outside to the patio where he meets uh, Frank Hill, Ron Nair, and Victoria Watkins. So they're other patients or uh, clients, uh, visitors to the spa, and all of them are pretty stoked on the treatment that they're receiving at the spa. And um, at this point, I think Victoria is just becoming interested in the history of the building and uh, what had happened to, because it was a castle before it was burnt down and built into the sanatorium that it is now. And so she tells him this little piece of information and he doesn't really think much of it. He's like, okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. No, I mean, and she, she's cool. She's cool as hell. She's one of those side characters. I'm like, I would have loved a whole movie about just her. She's very Jessica Fletchery, very like, I know something's up here, but what is it? And like looking into that, and and he's just blissfully ignorant for a lot of the movie. He's just ignoring things that are pretty downright messed up. Yeah, yeah. Because he, and the thing is, like Watkins continuously tells him about the messed up stuff, and he's just like, yeah, okay, cool. Beans. He just shr shrugs it off and he, he thinks it's almost like this teenage invincibility he has about him. He just thinks, hey, I'm at the top of the food chain. I can kind of just walk through life, get not not ever be knocked down and stuff. I'm and, and even when he was talking about his after his father committed suicide, that he was weak. Yeah. He's just like, no, I'm above all of this. And I, I, I it's impossible to harm me. Yeah. Really fascinating considering how easily his mental like resilience was broken down through this mm -hmm. film as well. Like that yeah. he even doubted his own capability to be stable. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, I think yeah. what made him so vulnerable to the whole breaking down of, of that like um, protection that he had for himself, like the barriers and the boundaries and everything. Yeah. And it, it just makes me think too about, as much as this film is, it, it gets very supernatural. I feel that there's a whole medical gaslighting component and a power dynamic that that's very scary, very relatable to me. I don't need to like, 
I really don't need to go into it, but it's just like, wow, this is very realistic in, in ways and very yeah. much like what can people with power do and how um, how powerless sometimes do we feel because of that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, Lockhart is walking around the grounds when he comes across Hannah, who is played by the glorious Mia Goth, who we all uh, yeah. love. <laughs> I, I love... I. This cast, this cast is way too good. Like this film, I feel like I maybe created it in my brain. It's so perfect. Like Mia Goth is amazing in this and in everything, and and she's just like she is a really interesting character in this. Yeah, whoever Vibinski worked with to cast this film hit the lottery with not only talent but just people who fit that role so well, and it's just like. I I don't think I could imagine anybody else in that role now. No, oh my gosh, it was so perfectly cast and just like when we first meet her character and she's singing that creepy song that you kind of hear yeah. at the beginning. It's just like and I sent you the score before we, we yeah. talked tonight. <laughs> it's just like wow, the score is like this whole it's almost like this other storyline, this own life of itself like and um I don't think Mia Mia's really singing it, but her character does and it's so chilling. Yeah, it's very haunting because she's um she's singing to to the water because Lockhart does ask her, you know, are you you know are you looking at something? Are you looking for something? Is there something in the water? And she's like, yeah, at the very bottom. Um, and he's asking her like, why are you here? You look um like too young to be here. And she's like, I I'm a special case. Like doctor the the doctor says I'm a special case. Um. And it's around this time that Volmer starts to notice that, oh, not Volmer, sorry, Lockhart starts to notice that Hannah and Volmer and a few other staff members are taking vitamin droplets from a blue bottle. Like this little blue vial with a little dropper in it. He's, He's like slowly putting things into the memory bank of that's weird, (laughs) the that's weird memory bank. Like, not to put him down, but I feel like I might have put things together a little sooner than, like, <laughs> it's just so late at this point for him to to retaliate. It's just, like, I think if somebody was doing a weird dropper vitamin thing around me every two seconds, I would notice and maybe say, hey, this isn't the place for me or something. But, like, it's mm. really, ugh, I'll be like, what's, what's that? What are you doing with that? Him meeting Hannah, I think things start to click into place because he finds something that he really cares about that's outside of business that's, like, the potential for for love and romance which is just it's weird and awkward again with the, this whole film is awkward in a very oh yeah yeah but like it, i think he finds something that he's never found before in his life like a, a love of sorts that makes him start to realize other things yeah yeah a love that made me give gave me the ick it gave me the heebie heebie jeebies. Oh yeah. To use uh Topanga's word from the Halloween episode of Wayne's World. Uh, I, I say heebie jeebies all the time. It's so cute, I love it. I stole it from Topanga. Well, I guess I stole it from you. But like, yeah, it just feels this she looks very young in this. And yeah. he like the fact that he even comments on it, it's just like the their romance is one of those there's a lot of weird, like like screwy, weird like relationships in mm. this that are just make you wanna be like, ooh, like shudder. Yuck. Uh, Lockhart decides to undergo some interesting treatments while he's there, including a uh, it's a sensory tank 
like sensory deprivation tank. Well, that's what Volmer calls it. I don't imagine sensory deprivation tanks looking like this one um, in particular. They do not. No. Uh, this one is like a massive, massive water tank with like a small viewing window through it. And um, he climbs in when the water is um, filling up. So he's, it's so weird because they put like a uh, a mask, like an a air tube in his mouth, but don't cover his nose. Yeah. And also just like, yeah, it's, it's very ill prepared for such a serious looking contraption. Yeah. And for like what Volmer says it's going to do. And so Volmer's telling him, you know, you're going to experience all these different things you might hallucinate you might do this you might do that you won't be able to hear anything um it's going to be dark so like it's super creepy and also like the spiel that uh volman gives is super creepy oh yeah and it's just like it's so interesting too i feel like he agreed to it but he was also forced into it there wasn't really a choice at this point he was kind of held there hostage but it's like I think the scariest thing in the world to Lockhart was vulnerability, and that was something that was really a big part of his character's development. Yeah, absolutely. That would have been terrifying for anyone, I reckon. Oh yeah, yeah. I would mean, you I, would you do a sensory deprivation tank? I yeah, I think I would. Yes, I think I would. I think I would do it, but I think that maybe I wouldn't. Maybe not that kind. I think a real one in real life. But maybe not the wrong. kind with like, like murder scientist people around me. Like, I don't think so. Murder scientists. But like, he he really didn't have, like, we were talking about autonomy and choice and all that stuff. Yeah. As much as they said, like, hey, um, we, like, you could do this or you could not do it. It's your choice whether you want to stay or leave, whatever. It really wasn't. Yeah, he didn't have a choice. Which is sad. Um, so <laughs> whilst Lockhart is in this sensory deprivation tank, the orderly that is meant to be looking after him gets distracted by a nurse who has come in and taken her top off. And oh, yeah. he starts to masturbate watching her. Why? Why did that? This is, this was, because it was, I think that whole thing about purity and like cleansing and stuff is like this whole, but this hypocrisy within the own institution that's yeah. shown like in the scene. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't think of it that way. I just thought it like, because they're talking so much about being, you know, um, you know, curing what ails you. And then she comes in and like takes her top off. He masturbates and she gives him, you know, these vitamins as well. So it's like, oh, okay. So there's different things going on where something ails somebody and they create their own cure as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a really interesting, like, in the way that that they... Are you okay? Uh, well... Can I help you? Has she been fed? Yes. You've been fed. Get out of here. Cat, uh, now that we're paused, um, something seems weird. I think that I might need, like, some sort of different charger or something because it stopped charging for a second. Okay, and... I'll pause. Resuming. Oh, I love that you can pause on Zencaster. How good is that? I've never had to, and I like didn't know you could. So I'm like, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> Don't be sorry at all. <laughs> Thank it's you. All good. Um, so Lockhart is floating in the tank, and he has a breathing tube pulled out by an eel, 
And then we see like a whole bunch of eels like circling around him, which was super creepy. Um, so he panics and nearly drowns, but the tank is opened and the water spills out. So Volma came back and um, found Lockhart almost drowning in the tank. Oh, and he was just like, oh, whoops, I guess this happened. It's like, you're you're a doctor. Oh, oops, sorry. This is, this is not good form. Yeah, and then he is gaslit by Volma. And That's the part that got me, yeah. Yeah, where he was like, oh, it's just a hallucination. I told you that it happened. No, eels in the sensory deprivation tank it was definitely not a hallucination, right? That was real. Yes, and here's the thing. I don't know if there's something I'm missing because, like, sometimes it seems like they are hallucinations, but at the same time, it's like, no, they they totally seem like they're there, but they disappear yeah. so fat. So, like, yeah. I, I don't know. That's where I was like, did he hallucinate that or did it actually happen? Because, yeah, when they looked and emptied the tank, there was none in there. Like, only Lockhart came out. See, that's what got me, but I think that's that's actually part of the the story building is that it's like, okay, so did he or or did that really happen? And that makes the it more surreal. Yeah, because I was just like, they can't disappear that quickly. That's what I thought. Apparently they can. Um, later that afternoon, Lockhart uh, runs into Watkins, who relays the Baron story again. But this time she mentions that the spa was built on the remains of the castle after the villagers burnt it down. She also says to him that the baby was cut out of the barren sister's womb and then thrown into the aqua fire, but the baby survived. She also mentions that she doesn't know and then just continues on her, I think she was on a walk somewhere with, with this book that she had found. Yeah, people so love in this movie to just like, they love to say weird um, things, like really haunting things that you, like little riddles and then just leave. <laughs> bye, see ya. <laughs> anyway uh bye enjoy your lunch <laughs> it's just like there's no normal conversations to be found in this film which is i feel like like the only the only person who's kind of normal-ish whatever normal means is is a uh, lockhart where yeah just no one like there no answers are clear to 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 him ever really. and he's still like a pretty shit dude oh yeah he's not a good guy no not at all um so Lockhart goes and sees Hannah and gives his ballerina figure that his mother had made in exchange for a bike ride into town. So um, she's reluctant at first, but then I think she's kind of like excited about the idea of being away and out of the grounds. So they go together and end up at the local pub, or well, tavern pub. He buys himself and Hannah some beers while he goes and sees Enrico, um, who survived the crash, thank goodness. <laughs> and the spa has replaced his like uh, taxi slash car for him. Um, then, uh, so he is also not only like a mechanic kind of person, but also the town vet. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that that one guy, yeah, that was like this town is really weird, and it's so interesting to see the disparity between like this huge mansiony thing and then this this very small yeah. village that's only a few blocks away. If that, like a couple of hundred meters. Oh yeah, 
but it's but, so such a different thing. Mm, it kind of defines that feud I, that, that he was talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, what I forgot to mention is that Lockhart had managed to steal Pembroke's um, medical files from Volmer's office. So um, he has been sneaking around and doing a little bit of investigating and, and whatnot um, in, like, small cutscenes between these major scenes. Um, so he wants uh, Enrico's opinion on um, his medical... I don't know, was it his medical files or Pembroke's? I think I think it was... Um... I thought it was Pembroke. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, yeah, because he's like he was looking for underlying uh, medical conditions. Yeah, and Enrico basically says, "Yeah, this looks like an incredibly sick man." Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. But he said, "Like, I can't comment on much because I am a self-taught vet." Yeah, and it's just it's it's weird because like we we know that that um. Volmer has a lot of power in the town and people are probably restraining you know, there's only so much anybody can really tell Lockhart because there's there's honestly a lot that's going on that that they would get I mean they could get killed if they say too much and I think you yeah. get that vibe he runs the it seems like he runs the whole like a lot of the town yeah whilst um Lockhart is speaking to Enrico um Hannah stays to listen to music and dance in front of the other patrons. <laughs> so, um, oh, yeah, there's a really gross moment um, where Lockhart, who is seeing the the the, the village vet and his, um, it says here his father. Who's Peter? He's the child. And then the the dad is Peter. So there's a mute child in the barn. He's quiet. He's drawing castles. And Lockhart goes to speak to him and um, his father tells him, you know, he doesn't speak anymore. And while this is happening and they're chatting about um, these results oh, right. and whatnot, yeah, because so Enrico is the one that tells him to go speak to Peter. Go speak to Peter. He's the vet. He'll know what's. He'll read those charts for you. So apologies, everybody. Um, yeah, I was, that's what I was. I was wondering. Yeah. I was like I thought it was the other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Enrico forwards Lockhart on over to to Peter. So he's just asking questions about the spa and the history and whatnot. And um, there's a cow in like a harness kind of contraption that is about to. He's he's basically going to die. Oh, well, she, sorry. And Peter cuts the cow's stomach open and out of the stomach comes a stillborn calf and some eels. Oh, Why it's are the so eels incredibly... in the... It's so gruesome. Ugh. They're in the water. Like, remember, yeah. like, earlier when, um, when uh, Lockhart just drinks his water and finds, like, a little sea creature in there and he's just like, oh, mm. well, like, they, okay. they're drinking this and it's, like, in the, the town supply. It's like, oh this yeah, is it's, it's why I had oh. eels up inside you stuck in my head for like a week. But just the whole the whole <laughs> thing about water and oh, that's right, and you got stuck in my head. <laughs> when um, I messaged but, you, I was like, hey, remember that eel song from Mighty Boosh? And then I one hundred percent dreamt about it, and I was like, did I dream about the cure for wellness? No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like it's interesting. It's like water and birth. And yeah. there's, there's so much symbolism in this and it really gets kind of in your face with this gory scene. And it's, 
this like ooh, you wouldn't yeah. expect it's such a beautiful pretty it really is a pretty film and it's also so incredibly gory in parts yeah the eels definitely surprised me i was like oh what the fuck because i thought it was intestines and then i was like oh wait a minute no that's eels yeah no i did i think you're supposed to initially think that yeah and then you see them like moving around and they're like squiggling everywhere i was like oh intestines don't do that they don't do that the special effects in this were incredible. It looked so real. Oh my gosh, my blanket. You have a fell visitor. <laughs> <laughs> no, my blanket <laughs> fell on me, and I thought it was eels. Okay, anyway, <laughs> this movie like will ruin your life. <laughs> I love it. Watch it. <laughs> yeah. So Lockhart gets the information that yeah, that uh, what's his face Pembroke is sick, and that he's in the you know just let him get treated, whatever. Uh, Lockhart goes back to find Hannah at the bar who finds that she is surrounded by a bunch of punk guys that were like hanging out at the um the what is that the jukebox <laughs> yeah um Lockhart tries to get her away from them but they all attack Lockhart who is eventually saved by Volma who arrives to pick up Lock- Lockhart and Hannah and there's like an exchange between um, Lockhart and Volmer. I can't remember what he says, but it's like, you know, um, along the lines of uh, she doesn't belong down here kind of thing. Well, he says something. I think he says something like she may look like a woman, but in her mind, she's still a child, which is really yeah. interesting when you see what happens later. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> this is a disturbing film. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, I just like scrolled down and I was like, now I've lost where I'm up to. <laughs> so Lockhart eventually gets in touch with Green, who wants to know what the hell has happened to him and Pembroke. Pembroke where are you? What are you going on? Uh, Lockhart says to him, hey, didn't Volmer tell you that I was in an accident and I've broken my leg? And Green says to him, dude, um, I only know about it now that you've mentioned it to me. Get the fuck back to the office. You've got 24 hours. But it's just... God, and what a cold. I thought that part, it's very dramatic, but I thought that yeah. part was realistic. Like, the boss, he doesn't care about his well-being. He cares. No. Like, get back to work. You're missing days. We're going to get in trouble, blah, blah, blah. But it's just mm. like, okay, but this guy is, like, literally about to be killed, as far as he knows. And it's just, it's so, there's so much hopelessness in this scene, which is why I thought that the that the illness or disease in this was was a capitalistic one yeah absolutely definitely when you when i watched it for the second time through i was like yeah this is a big criticism of how we like our generation is so entrenched in this whole capitalist system that we have lost connections to outside world and looking after ourselves oh yeah Oh yeah, and and just I think that's why I, I don't think he he's an intelligent uh, guy Lockhart, but I think it takes him so long to realize anything's wrong because he's he just doesn't want to see it. Yeah, absolutely, he's and I think that's a, a lot to say mind. about us, even when we are being exploited by certain systems and employment and our role in in society and whatnot. Oh yeah, I think this is going to be really relatable uh, to a lot of people I know, like. Especially people in, in, in business or anything, like, it's just going to really hit hard, I feel. Yeah. There's uh, a lot of truths in this one that you can't oh, yeah. <laughs> Where you're just like, oh, fuck, that's yeah. me. Um, 
So later that evening, whilst in his room, Lockhart's tooth comes loose. And it kind of like makes this grating noise in his mouth. And he's like, what the hell? And so he pulls it out himself. I can't stand the sound of teeth. Um, I have a real big like ick when it comes to bones and teeth are in bone category for me. Oh yeah, and I was just listening to yours and um, <clears throat> Freddie's episode, and, and you were saying that uh, you don't like the sound of bones cracking. I'm like, oh, who does like the sound of bones cracking? <laughs> it's like the only thing in horror movies that bothers me, where I'm like, ew, bones breaking, yuck. Yeah, no, and I, I, I'll, by the way, I love that episode so much. I think I listened to it <laughs> twice now, but because I, I love you both. But um, yeah, I, it's just like that scene with the with the teeth. It's just so. Oh, it's just, you know how you have a bad, bad dream and it's about your teeth falling out. Like Mm. this really felt like a nightmarish part of the film where it's like, what is real? What is not? And and it just felt like a bad dream. Yeah. The only reason I realized it wasn't a bad dream is when he took his tooth to the receptionist. She's like, oh, let me pop that in some milk for you. What the hell was that? That was the most disturbing part of the film. I was like, what? Is that a thing? I think so. I think milk preserves like maybe something on the like maybe the nerve on the tooth. Um, let's look this up. Alright everyone, we're going to learn together. Why do we <laughs> put teeth in milk? Here we go. That's not a creepy thing to search at all. So, milk contains certain substances that help the tooth stay alive, including sugars that the cells need to survive, proteins to maintain the right balance of acids, and antibacterial agents. Above all, keeping the tooth moist is crucial. But they never gave him back the tooth, I don't think. That, also like, I think, that. <laughs> it was just, it's just a weird, because remember there were all those teeth around the office that like, yeah, to, ew, in like the just, jars and... That was creepy. I love it. So Lockhart is like, okay, take that tooth then. And he goes off (laughs) in his... This bit really makes me feel, like, worried for him because he's, like, running up and down stairs on crutches, sneaking past staff in different, like, wings. And he comes across this really creepy room where there are patients inside these giant water tanks that look dead. Oh god. But Pembroke god. does um like like spasm, so he's like, okay, he's still alive, but why are they in this water tank? It's just like have we talked about like the whole like the, the fountain of youth element yet where it's just like No. He's yes. like being preserved in there. It's just so it's like they're like little pickle humans being in these like <laughs> big tanks humans. of water. <laughs> Yeah, like they totally are, though. And like, I, this scene was just so—I I don't even know how they could have filmed something like this and having it look so real and then look so yeah. lifeless in there. Ooh. The um, when Pembroke like like spasmed, I was like, oh, oh my god, because <laughs> yeah, I thought someone was, was gonna bang on a ta- like on a tank from the inside. That would have scared me even more. Oh my god. Oh yeah. <laughs> would crap myself. Yeah, and it's just it's so it's so interesting too because I think they said earlier like. Uh, I don't know if this is a fact either. Speaking of like milk teeth, but like that, they, somebody said that the human body is. I think Pembroke said the human body can. No, no, no. Volmer said it is is sixty five percent water or something like that. And it's yeah. like, is that true? And it's just like, God, water is so prevalent here, and just seeing them floating in this huge thing of water like that. Like, what is it? Pickle mean? juice. Oh yeah. 
It'd be nice if it was pickle juice. Yeah, I'll drink that. Maybe not after dead not, not, bodies. No, no. Before, before the pickle yeah. juice before the dead bodies go in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a sicko. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're come on. I'm totally well adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I'm like the most well adjusted person I know. So, <sighs> a big joke. <laughs> Um, Lockhart also finds a underground pool area where dead bodies are being dumped into the water. Yuck. Gosh, and this, like, speaking of cabin fever again, this really did remind me of that whole contaminated water supply and how, how just this whole thing affects the whole town. Yeah. And in this, it's like a little bit of a cycle. So it's like eels dead bodies going back into the water people drinking the water eels dead bodies eels water drinking it and i was like ew people are drinking dead body water yeah no i'd, I'd rather not oh uh, um one of the bodies that is getting tipped into the pool just so happens to be mrs watkins so Lucker tries to make his way back to his room because he's like fuck i've seen this now if they find out that i've seen this i'm dead um, he runs into one of the caretakers who is like yelling at him in Swedish and he's like, I don't understand. Ooh, yeah, that scene was really scary too, because yeah. it's just like it just really felt like he he had really sealed his fate in this like yeah. exploring, going and, and all those like weird winding tunnels and stuff. I can't even believe he found his way back ever. Oh yeah. But he I gets, would never. Yeah. I'd I'd be I just would put myself on one of the dollies and just be like, tip me in because I can't get out of here. <laughs> just like put me in the aqua for you. <laughs> Feed me to the read. eels. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. I can't read it. I'm, I'm not getting out of here. I can't <laughs> I have no GPS. There's no reception. My Google Maps can't get me out of here. <laughs> Throw me in. Um, so Volma actually finds him and says to him, whenever I happen to see you, Mr. Lockhart, you're somewhere you shouldn't be. Uh, and Lockhart's like, I just need, I've got this thing with my tooth, but I think I'm feeling a lot better. Can you just take me back to my room now? However, he's taken into a dental clinic, basically, and strapped down. And the dentist drills a hole through his front tooth. And this made me squirm. I was like, no. No, 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 no. I was surprised. I really was surprised, again, with the whole how pretty this film is, how how brutal it gets. And this was one of those scenes, too, where it's just like... And and, and even, I think, uh, uh, Volmer says, like, you know man can withstand a whole lot of pain if you just have your you know you put your mind up to and it's just like yeah thinking about the level of pain he has to be experiencing in this scene is just unreal yeah absolutely and that hole looks so real in his tooth i was like oh i'm surprised his whole tooth didn't shatter and this is another thing where i'm questioning like is this real is he experiencing this because like to me if you put a drill through a tooth like wouldn't the whole thing like crack eventually under the pressure I didn't think about. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah, I guess he's got some pretty. Especially that drill. Rappers. That drill. Yeah. But yeah, I, I feel. Yeah, yeah. That, I guess I didn't think about as much about uh, what's real and what's not as I as I should have. But like, how? Who's the narrator? Is he reliable? And the what's really yeah. going on here? You know. <laughs> who's telling this story? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it uh, would depend on. on <laughs> yeah. 
Hmm. Lockhart manages to escape and he does it in quite like it's super chaotic the way he gets out. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> he's he's like punching people and hitting them with his like uh with his crutches and I was like wow he he is fighting for his life here. Um but he manages to escape and he gets down to the police station there's a police officer there and he's like there's all these experiments going on blah 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 the police officer then offers him a glass of whiskey which i thought was odd oh how could he i honestly like it's not that i could handle this better because i can't even handle like someone yelling at me so like it's like why would he think that this person's not not involved in this like why would he not realize that it's a conspiracy what's going on in this place especially after what happened at the um that little bar yeah, you'd, you'd, like, I would have already gone, mm, no, I'm out. Everybody here is in on this and I am not safe. Yeah, like, he, it's just to, to, and it really, that again, I'm, I'm sorry to keep bringing up Cabin Fever. It's not my favorite movie anymore. Like, I used to like it. I don't anymore. But, like, really, to think that you could go to somebody who has an allegiance to somebody who's running this town already, who has the power and who lives there, and you're just some outsider yeah. person who they don't know like why would you think that you're gonna get any help from this person yeah because within a matter of minutes volma shows up doesn't he of, of course why <laughs> wouldn't he of course and he is basically telling the police officer that lockhart is receiving treatment he's one of my patients he hasn't finished his treatment yet and lockhart is like freaking out he's like i saw the tanks i saw pembroke what the hell is going on so Volma brings Pembroke out in like a fucking like dressing gown <laughs> and little slippers. Well, he's like, he's all right. Don't worry about it. Why would he? But like, you're you're right. Like, I, I don't know if you're laughing because it's a weird. Like, it's I so like, weird. Why would you bring another patient just to like know that you need to prove like what? It's like. <laughs> To have the foresight to know, hey, I should bring this other patient to a really, like, traumatic, like, it's just weird. He thinks this man is dead, um, so what I'm going <laughs> to do is traumatise him even more by bringing him down here. Like, I'm going to really fuck his shit up. Oh, that is really funny. I, I honestly, I took this film so seriously, but that, that scene, that really is a little too traumatic, and I don't think it yeah. would have happened that way. <laughs> no, uh, that would have gone down totally different, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so uh, Volma is also telling the police officer Lockhart threatened this man and said that he would bring him back to New York by force if necessary you know he's he's dangerous and I need to take him back for treatment so we see a little montage of uh, Lockhart undergoing a number of different treatments he's in like that steel thing that goes up to his head I don't know what it is. What is that? Do they just sit in bubbling water? I don't know. I don't know either, but it just, it feels, it feels so modern, but all like, it also feels like these medieval, like torture devices that are just, but I feel like a lot of these things we really do do as a society, like in a gym or whatever, just like these weird (laughs) contraptions that are like torture, but are also like supposed to be for our benefit. I don't know. It's, (laughs) it's a lot to think about. But they also look old. And that's uh, that's what I find so fascinating about this is that it is in this modern era, yet the equipment that they're using looks like stuff from like the 1960s and 70s. Honestly, some of it might as well be because we know that this is a historical place with a lot of things that happen. Like they might have just restored them to. Oh, my God. Don't even say that. They totally did, though. I feel like, like, uh, <laughs> what? They're not above it. They would totally do that. 
authenticity. <laughs> yes. So after a while, um, whilst receiving his treatment, Lockhart starts to act, think, and, be, you know, basically become just like Pembroke in the way that he starts to believe that he is not well and must stay for a cure. And that's where we have this like whole concept of medical gaslighting, where as a woman and a chronically ill person, I've pretty lucky in my experience. My sister was diagnosed um, before I have had the chance to. So she went through all the medical gaslighting before um, I went and spoke to my doctor. So she's been told, you know, um, just lose some weight. It's not your thyroids. You've got nothing wrong with you. You just need to lose weight. And turns out she has an autoimmune disease that's basically compacting her spine. So thanks, doctors, for your um, continued care. She actually had to go see my GP um, to have someone listen to her. So Can I see your GP too? Yeah, because like... <laughs> I mean, I, I, it breaks my heart that that happened because, um, so I have a connective tissue disease. My, my bones dislocate all the time. So I, I fall a lot and I, I've, uh, dislocated multiple, like I've dislocated my bones dozens of times. I've had two leg surgeries and, and, and initially they were just like, yeah, just lose weight or, oh, you're just stressed. And I'm like, does stress make my bones shift in my sleep or make me fall down on on the tile or, and it, it's, it, honestly, it hurts physically very much. Like it really, dislocations aren't, aren't, uh. They're not my fave, but like also it's like what hurts more is that you start to disbelieve your own self. You start to gaslight your own self after being yeah. told that for so long. And this film has that re- like has a reality for Lockhart where he's like, okay, they're telling me, all these people are telling me that my experience isn't real. So maybe it isn't. And that yeah. really that really hurts to watch if you've experienced it. Yeah. I mean, I gaslight myself more than I've been gaslit by medical professionals. Um, Me too. All the time. Yeah. Mainly because the drugs that I have to be on are drugs of addiction. So obviously I'm beating myself up a lot about that. (laughs) So that's good fun, gaslighting yourself along with everybody else. (laughs) No, it's just, it's like, I just wanted to say that it's like, I Mm. I do think as much as I can empower other people in, in chronically ill or disabled bodies and stuff and just just that our experiences are real and I believe you and I wish we were able to be believed by the people with the power more and and uh so films like this can be hard but it's it's also like I hope I just hope that we can it's hard to it really is hard it really I'll I'll just attest that it's really hard to stop gaslighting yourself yeah yeah I'm only two years into my pain journey and I'm just like ah. Uh... Oh, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Just put a heat pack on it. Just put a heat pack on it. Just have a Panadol. Panadol's um, uh, paracetamol. So it's like, oh. I don't know. You have a really long name for it, and I don't know how to say it. Oh, is that like, the, is that the acetaminophen one? Yeah, that one. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> no, I think it took me a long time to, yeah. No, because I, I, like, right after, I remember the first time I dislocated my leg, I was back to school, like, immediately after the, the, my first leg surgery, and I was like, no, I just gotta, I just gotta toughen up, I just gotta be tough. They told me I'm stressed, I just gotta, you know, stick it out, and, and I've done it more, I've fallen more since then. I've. It's like, it's just, it makes me want to cry, because it's just like, no, we. It's it's so it's okay to not be okay, and it's okay yeah. to to just like know that that I really to know that what we're experiencing is real, and to be heard is the most important thing in the world to me now. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. And just because our disabilities and our illnesses aren't visible, doesn't mean we're not going through some pretty fucked up shit. 
Yeah, and that could go for a lot of different traumatic and difficult and and physically and emotionally painful experiences that it's like we just don't know everybody's story and yeah. and that doesn't take away from how much it it really is valid and how much that matters. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Maybe I'll start showing myself some more kindness. <laughs> before well if you can i always you know i always will and and you've shown the world so much kindness and oh stop it (laughs) okay let's cry now (laughs) i'm just gonna pause and go cry but um we'll go we'll we'll finish this first um so um there's a moment where lockhart is writing his own letter to his employees where he writes down no man can unsee the truth so it's kind of like this repetitive um uh, what's like a like a slogan i don't know I don't, quote oh, yeah because or... that's totally repeated yeah like it, yeah it, it just makes me think of the the circle of life the cycle of life like the cyclical nature of life rebirth life death rebirth etc and that that just comes up in so many various ways in this film and the letter yeah. is one of the interesting ones a very like a very almost exact replica of the initial letter that the film starts off with yeah like he's penning his letter to the people that he works with Ooh. almost identical to what Pembroke did Pembroke yeah um while he is writing this letter Hannah is using the pool where she experiences her first period we see the eels swimming near her, but then they form a circle and swim around her, which I thought was very fascinating. I don't know what to read into that. Like, I just, symbolism of maturity, maybe? I don't know. I mean, I think that that in ways you could film, or you could view this film as like a coming of age for, because I think a coming of age films can happen, like, or can, can, your coming of ages can happen for any age. So, like, she's not a kid, really. Yeah. Uh, but and neither is he. But I think this is like a coming of age for both of them, and that's that that scene was super coming of agey for me. Yeah, I was just like, okay, so this even goes more into that cyclic nature where now she can have children, and it can like she can do like be a part of that uh, that born um, like born living death rebirth cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she becomes because she really is like she's always like an outsider she's an outsider just as much as Lockhart is especially yeah. because she's she's a special case that she keeps repeating and so here is when she really does integrate into the actual like his his um Volmer's plans yeah yeah Volmer's plans huh huh Volmer's, Volmer's <laughs> plans I do not like Volmer's plans no this is when the movie gets really really ugh. yes during a moment of clarity lockhart breaks a glass and uses a shard to cut open his cast revealing that his leg was never broken um i love this scene where he's trying to run but he's got like no muscle mass in his leg from being in a cast and he's like really struggling but he finally gets there and he is trying to find hannah so he finds her um and she like hits him like punches him in the face as he tries to help her and she uh runs away to find Volma in the dining room and they're having a dinner so there's the staff Volma his like aides and the patients are all having dinner Lockhart runs in and starts to tell everyone that Volma is a liar and is the one responsible for everyone being sick and it's in the water whatever it is 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 making them sick, whatever's in the water. Um, it's the reason that the teeth are falling out. It's the reason that nobody is feeling, you know, mentally stable. 
and he gives like this whole speech to them to which their response is to stand and basically surround him um like they like crowd him and he um he eventually passes out that honestly that was scary and uh, yeah have you, re- have you read the lottery no i what i think it's shirley jackson i think it's it's like um it's this it's just a it's old school horror it's it's like a classic scary story i don't i actually don't want to say too much if you haven't read it because it's it's that that you have to read that's that's really Ooh, okay i mean so it's, it's it's this like classic like getting ganged up upon and then and then having being outnumbered this this whole thing of him really possessing the truth here and just just being outnumbered because <laughs> hey he might be in the right in this case but it doesn't matter because they the, don't care they don't no one cares yeah. and, and that's another one of those realities that really seeps into my own viewing now where I'm just like, ooh, like that is, that's, that is pretty symbolic. Yeah. He just, uh, he's very overwhelmed by all these people and the fact that he realizes he's not being supported by them as well. And, oh, oh yeah, because he initially was like, yeah, stand up, be on my side. Like he just, and then, I love how nope. he just assumes. <laughs> yeah, they're like all against him. No. Brainwash, cult. Yeah, cult. <laughs> Uh, Lockhart wakes up in a chamber. So these chambers kind of resemble the the iron lungs um, from the tuberculosis era. Um, It's very, this scene is very unsettling for me, uh, where Volma forces a tube down his throat and uses the eel-filled liquid and pours it into, like, into Lockhart's body. And he's explaining that, we need to put this water into your bodies because um, the eels filter out the vitamins and it's kind of like they're milking people in a way to create their little uh, vials of vitamins. Yeah. That, the movie gets real weird in the last act. Yeah. Like, like I, I hadn't anticipated it to go that route. This is when I think it starts to really go. It's not predictable at all, which is another reason. No, I, really I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, that I never in a million years would have guessed how it would go that way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how significant like the eels become really in in the scheme of things. Yeah, watching that liquid go down his throat, and I think they were like small eels in it as well. I was like, oh yeah. no, no. I don't know how they made it so real looking, but man, yeah. the effects in this are just jarring enough to see the film alone. If you can handle it, which if you can I, stomach I, it. I, I kind of, I kind of can't sometimes, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I love that, like all this hard work of like putting the eels into the people to filter out like the water, because um, like Volmer expre- explains like the whole process. I didn't really understand, but I got the gist of what they do. Kind yeah. of. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's all you know how it's like it's like purified water, like they're, they're yeah. purifying people there's even at the very beginning there was a placard and i wrote it down in the the, um other doctor's office i think what was his uh yeah in mr peterson's office there was a placard that said purity before wellness like before wellness which i thought was really interesting in order to it's like who deserves to have a cure what does the cure mean and what does purity mean and there's there's so many questions here and it's just it's just a a human water purifier i feel is this yeah. whole deal yeah 
I don't, where does the purify where does where does it come from their urine their skin what where does it come from i don't know because we did see a gross i don't get grossed out except for with urine stuff i'm just like no 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 i don't know why it does it to me but i don't <laughs> like fair. it and like there was that scene where there was like remember there were like serpents in the samples yeah so i do yeah. believe that yeah I think that it, it might, I think it comes from a few areas of their, different. whatever, because like, like teeth and stuff like that, like different elements yeah. of their body, but it's just like, ooh, this is, this realm is gross. <laughs> it is grotesque. <laughs> um, Lockhart has his teeth fixed um, and appears to basically be just like the rest of the patients that are there. So he's sitting out on a, um, he's sitting out on like a chair and he talks, Hannah says something to him about leaving and he's like, why would you ever want to leave? Which is exactly what she said earlier. There's even a song on the score. Did I say this? That that's called nobody ever leaves, which is Hannah's words at the beginning when she sings that song. It's, it's like, why would you want to? And then this, it's this like whole dissociation thing. And I can relate to that too, where it's like, you know what, just let them let them make me whatever they want to make me and I'll just agree with it because it's easier. Yeah, yeah. Just do whatever. I don't care anymore. He's resigned and I think it's 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 because it's easier to just go along with it and, and he's become, he's believed it, truly believed that he is what they tell him he is. Yeah, he's been put in a state of delusion that he's just like, okay, I'm unwell, I have to stay here. Mm -hmm. So sad. It um. Is. Volma is throwing a party that night with his patients and staff, which I thought was weird because he refers to them as patients rather than like clients. Uh, and so like that boundary of celebrating and drinking and partying with patients, I thought was weird. Oh yeah. He does have a very strange interaction with not, not only Hannah, but with his patients. Like yeah. he, he views himself as above them yet. He, it's like these weird little experiments he has with them just to, kind of see how they work in these situations it's it's really creepy yeah it's really fucking weird but also he back knows he can oh sorry so i was just going to mention back at that moment with lockhart in that contraption and they're milking like the people um volma also mentions how he has like um made the baron's experiments more beneficial for what they need those vitamins for that he has expanded he's he's made he's perfected them in a way but yeah so i thought i'd mention that <laughs> yeah because i think this is like year like we do find out it's years and years and years in the making of finding the perfect cure for yeah. whatever it is they're trying to cure is it's been something he's been working on for a, a long time yeah there's a really creepy scene where he goes and gets hannah a new dress for the occasion Ew. It's just really creepy the way he speaks to her and Ew. Yeah, just earlier like he says, I, I see her as a daughter when he when um he looks at at, at the photo of her on his, his desk and stuff like that. There's this this whole a huge, very unnerving shift in their interaction and in his interaction really with her that's just Yeah. Honestly, this is the part I don't I there's some parts of the film I really don't enjoy and this is one of them yeah uh, not me that, too not that it shouldn't have happened necessarily like it just i don't like watching it it's, it's like i don't know i have to look away at some parts and this is one of them yeah. where ugh, i hate it 
I just like will put my phone up and be like, uh, this is yuck. This is ick for me. Yeah, no it's thanks. just it's it's incredibly hard to to watch, even though they don't yeah. they don't show all too much, but it's just very hard to watch. Yeah. Um Lockhart's in his room and he starts to come to his senses as he thinks about what at what Watkins had told him about the Baron. He finds a portrait that was taken a while after the photo. So um, I can't remember where he goes to find this. Oh, he's got the book. He's got Watkins' book with all the details about um, the fire and the history of the building. Um, There is also a note inside the book that says she doesn't know. Um, Lockhart breaks. So there's a painting on the wall behind him. That is the portrait as well. It's in his room. And he uses a glass to magnify. Um, In the picture, there's like uh, a bunch of people. And he magnifies the image. And we see a man with bandages all over his face. But what the portrait doesn't show was the man holding hands with a small girl who is Hannah. Oh, yeah. And this is when it gets very like Dorian Gray-y, gothic-y. Yeah. Like it gets, it's, it kind of goes back to that very classic lit um, kind of take there where yeah. I, I hadn't expected it to go that, that room. No. Either. That was, was kind of cool. This is also where his toilet explodes. <laughs> <laughs> another, another beautiful element of this gothic. Where he like film. rips the, the cistern off and all water goes everywhere because he's just so over the noise that it was making. <laughs> yeah, because, but then is that, is that when he saw like the eels all over there again, and then they disappeared? Yeah, yeah, Ooh. yeah. Um, so whilst that's happening, and he's dealing with that, and um, discovering that Hannah has been around for quite a long time, um, Volma is having a wedding ceremony. Now this is the scene I almost wish they cut out. Like this is yeah. the one scene where I'm just like, did you need to? Like I, it's. Yeah. Uh, when I say it's almost perfect, this film, there's a few parts that I'm just like, I don't know if you needed it in this yeah. this next scene. It's just, it's, uh, it's, oh, it's, I, ugh, it's just disgusting. Yeah. But it, it doesn't go for long. Um, what God. I found really funny was that they're all standing around because they're in like a particular, a, a surgery wing. So there's like an observatory area. And then um, Hannah and Volmer and a few other of the guests are below. And they release, like, I'm going to say toilet paper. <laughs> um, when they throw, I think they throw, like, white fabric down the sides. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. It looks like yeah, it, though. Yeah, it looks like toilet paper. Um, and so he um, then, so that that doesn't last very long. But the guests and the staff go into another wing of the hospital where they continue the celebrations and Volmo takes Hannah basically into, like, the secret underground lair that he has. Because, of course, like, of course the villain, like, the he is just a villain. He has to have a lair. He has to have a lair. He has to. <laughs> he has to be an evil scientist with a lair. Right? It wouldn't make sense if he didn't. But this is where Hannah discovers that... Volma is in fact her father and um, because there is a portrait there which is of his sister who looks exactly like Hannah, obviously Hannah's mother and this is where the whole revelation that Hannah was the baby that was thrown into the aquifer and survived yeah which um, I think I'd 
I, I realized it obviously when you know when we kind of like the she doesn't know line and stuff like that. Yeah. But just just seeing it kind of come to fruition and seeing it roll out the way it did with with um him being her father and just it's like this whole just seeing it was really viscerally upset upsetting i would say it's pretty vile yeah. um because hannah uh vomitized hannah to uh the bed that is in the in the underground lair which i thought was weird um and basically prepares himself to rape his daughter yeah luckily lockhart breaks out of his room and gets into the lair. I don't know how he found the lair. I don't know how he was like, I'm going to go down these stairs. They're definitely in there. Yeah, no, that's the, <laughs> the other part. that, Like, the other part where I kind of have to suspend my disbelief. Or yeah. It's just like, how are you able... Like, this is a huge, massive... These are massive grounds, and he's able to just get anywhere, anytime, and just know yeah. where everything is. Like, how? How? Why do you know this? Know. Did the eels in the water give you this information? If so, I I might want some of the eels in the water myself because he's able, like he comes right in the nick of time to. Yeah. To, it's it's just interesting how he's able to navigate such a mm. such a kind of labyrinth. Yeah, it was. I was just like, hey, wait, how did you get here? <laughs> I mean, it is a movie. Know. It's, it's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Lockhart comes down and Volman's pissed off that he is in there and they break out into this huge fight and whilst that is happening volma pulls the skin off his face to reveal himself as the baron um his face is obviously all burnt um from being burnt in the fire of the castle um i love hannah's reaction to his scarred face like she is terrified because she is a child Oh yeah, but I mean, like, God, just just any. I mean, just seeing something like that, seeing someone's face off their face, it's just <laughs> like this is just like unnatural. This oh. and he just peel, peels it off like repo, like it's like really. Yeah. That was gross. That it just and the idea of um, honestly, I think that's another one of the symbolic points of the film that he's wearing this mask that's yeah. of this kind of you know high standing like good citizen good in quotations where it's like he takes it off and you see what he really is yeah i wonder whose face it was who's who who owned that face that's really who did he steal it from i would like to know i would too i'm gonna have to google that later Uh, um also i'm like i was thinking about like if there was a sequel like a cure for wellness too like how much that was (laughs) Like, make the movie not as pretty or fancy or whatever as it's supposed to be, sophisticated. Can it be a 15-minute short? And I just want to know. It's like a prequel to, like, where Volmer got his face from would be nice, please. Yeah, I would love to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, he's just... I haven't seen... I don't think I've seen another scene like that in a movie where someone... No. Yeah, it's just... It's so uncanny. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I can... No... Only like face off in the mask, but that's about it. <laughs> very different vibes. Very different movies. <laughs> very. <laughs> I love the mask. It was my favorite movie as a kid. That and Batman Returns. My dad just brought me some of uh, my old laser laser discs from like childhood, and the mask was one of them. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, this. yes, I love it. I do. I yes. love it too. 
That's amazing. I'm so glad. I think my dad still has my DVD copy of it from when I was a kid. Because I, I was obsessed. It's a must. Kids, I think it's a fun kids movie. It's just like really, really different. It's so weird. I love it. Um, so we discover um, that the vitamins that they have been taking, like Volmer and Hannah and some of the staff, have kept them alive for over a century. And that they have been using the eels in this aquifer. Because we find out, because Volmer goes into this big spiel about how these eels, they live for 200 years. And that's what gives us this vitality and this life and um, has kept us alive for, for 100 years now. Yeah, but it's, it's like, it's not even just alive. It's alive and young and, and kind of thriving. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely like that fountain of youth concept. I feel like they'd really, I, I just have a feeling they're going to really get into that in the uh, the book of this. Like, yeah. I feel like I, they'd have to. The idea of youth and just of her being, like, yeah, their, their youthfulness and what youthfulness means and all that stuff is really interesting. Yeah. I, I'm going to have to read the book now. Me too. <laughs> so Lockhart leads Volmer into a trap where he had previously dumped a whole bunch of, like, petrol and sets, um... Volma on fire, which then sets the curtains on fire as he tries to extinguish himself. And the fire spreads up to the rest of the sanita sanitarium. And um, as Lockhart tries to free Hannah, Volma attacks him. And Volma drags Lockhart over to the pool of eels and tries to, like, I love when he, like, has his head over the water and you see that bubbling start to rise where it's like the eels waiting for like human flesh to come into the water it's so yeah so good i thought that was like super like speaking of gothic it was like very fairy tale to me it felt very very interesting and and, and like another one of the i thought that part was kind of pretty to see on screen yeah the color of that water was was beautiful yeah um however hannah takes a shovel and bashes volmer in the head which causes him to stumble backwards and fall into the pool to be eaten by the eels. What an ending. How um, poetic. It's very poetic. And I was glad. I mean, you, you see everything that this guy does and you're glad to see it happen. It's just interesting to see that his demise was caused by his his daughter. And, and they're, they're really, like, strained and, and like, ugh, I don't know, their relationship. Ugh. But, like, even so, like, he is her father. She still was able to do it. And he was just, just the worst guy. Like, just, yeah. a, he really was a pure villain. And she obviously knew that. So oh, she yeah. was like, no, nah, okay. you're a bad dude, Dad. It was wonderful to see it happen, honestly. I loved yeah. I, I loved seeing him, like, come to that end. Yeah. Especially from their own makings. And it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. And the eel fit, iron, irony. Irony at its finest. Um, oh, yeah. Lockhart and Hannah escape... Um, just as the other patients and staff are fleeing from the burning castle. They jump on Hannah's bike and start to ride away. On the road out, they uh, stop by a car where Green, Hollis and Wilson step out, basically telling Lockhart, get in the car, you have a job to do, we're going, where's Pembroke? And Lockhart's response is, he is gone. That's it. He is gone. Gone where? Gone means a lot of things in this yeah. in this sense. I, yeah. Which I thought this whole thing was really interesting too, that that his, the people from his work just come instantly <laughs> want to get back to business. They don't even think it's weird that he's like on some bicycle with a And that there's a fire. 
Yeah, like, there's a whole ass building on fire. They're like, no. oh, Get when are you going back to work, Mr. Lockhart? It's like, <laughs> hey, and, like, do you not see like a, a million lives are in peril right now? Like, Get in the car. We've got shit to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is back to business with them. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, they tell him again to get in the car, but he refuses. And Hollis says to Lockhart, what the hell's wrong with you? To which Lockhart responds, responds that he is feeling much better. Him and Hannah continue riding away into the night with a very, um, I don't know the word, but he has a very, uh, obscure looking grin on his face. Dahan is like the, he's like the, such grimace. a- Grimace. It's a grimace. That's the word. But it's a grimacey smile. It's almost like an evil smile. Like he's become, it's another chapter of himself, but it's like how much of his old self is still there and how much of yeah. his new self is just chaos incarnate, you know? Yeah. Well, the new is definitely going to be chaos incarnate because oh, after yeah. all of that, I don't think it can be anything but chaos. Oh yeah, and I I love the way I really do. It's a little cheesy, I guess, but the way that they ride off in the end, and he just has that smile kind of coming towards the screen on the bicycle. It's just mm. it it's it really it kind of it gives me it like makes my heart beat in a in a fun way. I really do think that the end of this movie is wonderful. I really love the way it ended. Yeah, I find the ending quite odd because I was just like, okay, that smile can mean so many things. Like interpret as so many things. Like has he lost his marbles? Is he happy he's escaped? Is he just smiling because now he's got the goal of his dreams? Like, there's all these different weird, inter- well, not weird, but interpretations of that ending. Well, and oh, you know what I just thought of? Okay, I hope they didn't do this, but like, there's so much talk in the film about dreams and dreaming. Like, it just seems pretty ideal that that happened, right? That he was able to get out yeah. and everybody else burned alive and, and, and you know, um, Vollmer paid for what he did and he got out with the girl and they're going to start a new life and he told off his co-workers and everything it, it's he could have died does that really happen in real life <laughs> that's what I, I mean there's mm. a lot of things where it's like how much of this really is real again where it's with that kind of gaslighting and internal gaslighting like a, yeah. a lot of <laughs> of that yeah it's so it's it's disturbing in that way because I do like to think that he got out and whatever but also where the hell are they gonna go they have no money uh she's not even wearing shoes probably yeah sorry that's my alarm (laughs) 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 but yeah i like to think that they got away but also i love that the film does lend itself to that whimsical element where it could have all been a dream and maybe he is still passed out in the car crash Oh yeah, like how much of this happened? Yeah, I mean, because it, it really does have that fairy tale and that gothic vibe and stuff. That's yeah, kind of like it's very supernatural. So I, I, I do like I like that they. It's not clear, but it's it's kind of what you want it to be. And I think depending on my mood, it's different things. Yeah, I'd like to watch it in a different mood because I'm always usually in a pretty good mood. So <laughs> maybe I'm, how do I change my mood to watch it? Well, I think it'd be interesting watching it when you're happy versus when you're sad and what you take from it. Because this is, it's it's an emotional one. It definitely is. I really enjoy it. And I highly recommend that everybody watch it. And also if you can read the book, because I'm going to, so you have to, too. I have to read. Uh, I don't, I have no idea why I haven't read it. I'm excited to read that. Yeah, I think I'll just grab the the audio book. So give it a listen. Hopefully it's on audio book. I do a lot of driving, so I prefer audio book lately. 
Well, that is a cure for a cure for wellness. Thank you for getting me to watch that movie finally. I enjoyed it. I'm so happy you liked it because I I do try to introduce it to my loved ones as often as I can because it really, as far as horror films and maybe even films in general goes, I I really am in love with this movie for for so many reasons. It's just such a, it's so so in my heart. Yeah, it's a fantastic film. Um, well. We've come to the end of the podcast, this episode. And as always, as I ask everybody, what is the last horror movie that you watched? Gosh, what is the... Let's see, what is the last... Uh, I suddenly um, don't know my name. I don't know where I am. <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> yeah. Um... Oh, gosh. Well, I've been watching a lot of... Okay, this isn't a horror movie. But it's been a little bit since I've seen a horror film. So I've been watching a lot of Are You Afraid of the Dark lately. Nice. Um, and kind of revisiting my childhood in that way. Um, so, yeah, it's not a horror movie, but it's been, it's been a second. Um, unless you count the Batman, which I just saw. And I would say, hey, that's, that's, that's some horror. It is. There. It's a bit yeah. gothic looking. I'm hopefully going to see it this week. If Please. I have enough time. <laughs> I Fingers got, crossed. That's- it's I it's such a it's it is creepy, especially like Paul Dano. I, I love I just everything I love I love. Anyway, um I would see it for him because his element in there is just he is he is a creepy riddler. I would call this a yeah, yeah. I would say that's the last horror film I saw. Yeah, it's definitely I reckon it definitely like even like the first Batman films, like Michael Keaton, Tim Burton's Batman, I put in like the horror thriller action genre. So Oh yeah. I have since I was a kid. Um, I don't know what I watched last, so I'm going to have to skip my... No, I watched Mandrake. Um, it is going... Well, by the time these episodes come out, it's already premiered at um, Fright Fest in Glasgow. So, yeah, it's a really cool Northern Irish folk horror. It's really good. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. I really... Yeah, I had a really good time watching it. Oh, and then I watched Hellbender on Shudder. I still have to see that too. It's that really looks, good. Oh, looks yeah, so good. watch it. It's so good. Definitely do it. Um, so where can listeners find you, your content? Um, where is your podcast going to be? When is it coming out? What have you got um, for me? All right. So I right now, um, I'm not going to be on Twitter as much, just mental healthy reasons. And I was telling Kat before, I'm a little <laughs> like certain tech I just can't do. So Instagram with all the nice pictures has been my friend lately. <laughs> find me on there uh at d-y-l-y-n-c-e-l-i-4 and um you could also find me at bloodybedroom.com just exactly how it sounds and um hopefully within the next month or two i'll have the first episode of locks and lucifer which is my mom's and my film podcast um probably anywhere you could find a podcast yeah well i'll definitely have it on my twitter so be what were we talking about today on Instagram? How we like um, have nothing but good shit to say about our friends behind their backs. <laughs> um, I talk so much good shit about my friends behind their back. Like today, I, I <laughs> talked about so many. Yeah, I, I don't have enough things to. I, I have so many things to brag about. Yeah, I mean. I'm always like, hey, yeah. grandma. So anyway, my friends. <laughs> she's just like, I don't know what any of this means. <laughs> no, I could like, I could go on. This could podcast could be like hours and hours long of just talking about how much I love you and how much I love all Aww. of our. Yeah, I have so many brilliant... I'm so honored to know so many brilliant people. Me too. We're pretty lucky, huh? Very, very lucky. Um, well, thank you for joining me, finally. We finally got to do it. 
after all my weather mishaps over the last two weeks. <laughs> oh, it's been yeah. No, thank you for having me. This has honestly been such a wonderful time. I'm so I'm so happy to be here and to know you. We'll we'll have to do it again. I'd love to. And thank you, listeners. If you enjoy the podcast, please remember to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. To catch all the latest from me, you can find me on Twitter at catstead underscore or on Instagram at hearascreamcat. To see all the latest from the podcast, follow the show on Twitter at TGIF Podcast. You've been listening to TGIF. See you next Friday. <laughs>